Ah. Right, I'm now in the ready, set, go position. Can you hear me? I can hear you. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. This week, Barnaby Joyce tried and failed to make a comeback, but the brawl within the Nationals exposed long-simmering climate tensions in the coalition. Today, Paul Bongiorno on the challenges Barnaby Joyce has created for Scott Morrison. Paul, let's start with the Nationals' party leadership, which was triggered by the rolling sports rot scandal. So the big story of this week started late Sunday afternoon when Bridget McKenzie finally resigned as a Cabinet Minister and Deputy Leader of the National Party. She apparently realised, or as is more likely, the Prime Minister and her leader, the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormick, convinced her for the sake of the whole show, she had to go. What I'm telling the public is the Minister has tendered her resignation. Yesterday, I resigned my ministry and I informed the leader of the National Party I would be stepping down from my leadership roles. You know, Michael uh, McCormick-Ruby warned Scott Morrison that Mackenzie's demise would most likely destabilise McCormick's own leadership and rock the coalition. Bridget McKenzie had held on for as long as possible. Her most outspoken supporter to stay was none other than Barnaby Joyce. He even said he was taking bets on her survival. But after 18 days of relentless leaks, clearly from within the government, showing how egregious her partisan rorting of the $100 million grant scheme was, there was no real option. Well, this left the deputy leadership uh, vacancy and the National Party room would have to fill it. Ever the opportunist, Barnaby Joyce signalled that if there was a spill also of the leader's position, he would put his hand up to challenge McCormick. If there's a spill, Koshy, then I'll put my hand up, uh, obviously after a spill. Queensland National, Lou O'Brien, obliged and said he'd move a spill. Then late Monday, Resources Minister Matt Canavan, another Queenslander, announced his willingness to resign from Cabinet and support Joyce. It really did look like a game plan. Uh, The people we serve will be best served uh, by Barnaby as leader. That's the judgement I've come to. We need a bulldog, we need a fighter uh, to fight back against those. They want to take away people's coal jobs, they want to shut down cane farms, they want to stop even Indigenous Australians developing their own land. So what did Barnaby Joyce promise when he was making his case for the leadership of the Nationals? Well, on cue, Barnaby Joyce then began a blitz of the media to push his credentials for a return to the top job. And what he promised was to renegotiate the coalition agreement to set out new conditions for letting the Liberals govern. So he wanted a more independent profile for the Nationals. I think the National Party has to be on the balls of its toes uh, as we face some of the most challenging times and uh, we have to speak with our own voice. And what he was proposing was in fact an anti-environmental agenda, completely out of sync with the mood of the nation in light of the record severity of the, of the bushfires. Barnaby promised more coal-fired power stations, more land clearing and a rewrite of the Murray-Darling Basin plan to release more water to farmers and towns and less for natural habitats. This would have put him on a direct collision course with Morrison's attempt to at least appear to be a born-again climate change activist. 
what has the last year or so been like for Barnaby Joyce uh, since he lost the leadership? Now, you don't have to convince me that the climate's not changing. It is changing. My problem's always been whether you believe a new tax is going to change it back. He used his time on the back bench to, to be a niggling voice. Look, I just don't want the government anymore in my life. I'm sick of the government being in my life. And he made sure that when he was on the back bench, he bought into arguments. Like he said, the only thing that could solve the climate change issue and, and crisis was God. You know, there's a higher authority that's beyond our comprehension, right up there in the sky. Unless we understand uh, that... That's got to be respected. Then we're just fools. We're going to get nailed. He was looking like, if you like, the leader of the opposition from within, which is the last thing the government really needs. In fact, um, this is what appeals to uh, uh, people who think that uh, he's already a national figure. He's got the name Barnaby. Everybody knows who you're talking about. On the backbench, Barnaby Joyce never disappeared and had the substantial support of key faceless men in the organisation of the Queensland Liberal and National Party. These people are convinced that the bland McCormick lacked the cut-through to blunt the challenge of Pauline Hanson in the Sunshine State and the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party in New South Wales. We'll be back after this. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, we're talking about the leadership spill in the Nationals. What were the final numbers? Ah, Ruby, what were the final numbers? We may never know these numbers because according to the National Party rules, the Chief Party Whip Damien Drum must not divulge them and, in fact, must destroy the ballots. Uh, And by party tradition, he's supposed to take the numbers to his grave. Uh, Joyce's allies then uh, claim that the margin was 11 votes for McCormick and 10 votes for Joyce. Well, this is a sure sign that he'll have another crack. Something Joyce confirmed on his local ABC in Tamworth. Should the opportunity rise again, he'll sure have a go for it. But you wouldn't rule out another tilt at the leadership in the future? No one ever does. Someone who says I'll never rule out any sort of tilt, but I'm not McCormick's backers say, look, it wasn't nearly as close as that. They claim it went 15-6. But both sides have to admit that this is what they say based on conversations before the vote because, um, well, nobody's seen the ballots except, uh, except the whip. So, but whatever the numbers, as they say in the classics, McCormick's leadership is on death row. 
So was Barnaby Joyce ever a credible candidate? Well, of course, he has his supporters, as I say, but there were many people in and out of the parliament who were telling the nationals not to elect him. People like the founding member of Australian Women in Agriculture, Alana Johnson. She was backed up by other high-profile rural women like Sue Middleton from the Foundation for Regional and Rural Renewal. Middleton said there were too many skeletons in the closet and the party should move forward. These women point to the sexual harassment claim made against Joyce by a much-respected rural leader from WA and that claim, of course, led to his earlier demise as leader. So, Paul, this is obviously all very destabilising. What does it mean for the government? Well, Ruby, the climate wars are back on. We must be at about Mark III by now, going back to uh, Abbott versus Turnbull in opposition. And then, of course, we saw what happened to Malcolm Turnbull 18 months ago. So while promising his colleagues he would loyally serve his boss, Barnaby Joyce warned them not to succumb on climate change to greenies. He says it wasn't an issue in Nationals' electorates. And he criticised people for pushing hobby horses on the back of tragedy. So the key word there is he still sees climate change as basically a fairy tale, a hobby horse. In the government party room on Tuesday, Joyce was drawn by four of his supporters, including Queensland National George Christensen, who said five seats depended on the government's backing of coal mining and that support could be in jeopardy with more climate action now. Uh, really, this was a threat. Remember, the government only has a one-seat majority. And anyway, it's not only the Nationals stirring here, you also had Liberals like Senator Jim Molan on Q&A saying he doubted man-made climate change. Uh, as to whether it is uh, human-induced climate change... <laughs> is Thank you, thank you. As to whether it is human-induced climate change, my mind is open. Not surprisingly, this alarmed a number of Liberals uh, in the party room. There was pushback. The new member for the inner Melbourne seat of Higgins, Katie Allen, said climate change needed to be tackled and backed Scott Morrison's preference for the use of new technologies to bring down emissions. The member for North Sydney, Trent Zimmerman, a leading moderate, said more than technology was needed and he said Joyce was wrong to assume climate change was not an issue just because it didn't register in certain seats. Another Liberal, Fiona Martin, said climate change had become a major issue in her seat in Western Sydney. OK, so this is Climate War Mark Three. Do we know from the previous climate wars what might happen next? Well, we know that if you stand up to the anti-climate forces in the coalition parties, you lose your leadership. Or at least that's what's happened to now. It's certainly what's happened in the Liberal Party. There's no doubt McCormick and Morrison are aware of the lessons of the previous climate wars. The sceptics and fossil fuel champions are prepared to blow up the government rather than to allow policies that cut across the vested interests of coal and gas. So what happens next? Well, it depends on how capable Morrison is to balance the interests within the party against the interests of being in government. And does it seem like he can do that? Well, I've got to say, since the election, Morrison's political smarts uh, have deserted him. Much like Malcolm Turnbull, now he lacks the authority to stare down the fossil fuel champions in the coalition. That's assuming that he really wants to. 
But he is trying to reposition rhetorically to remarket the product. But you know, even here, it's a fraught project, especially with his old leadership rival, Peter Dutton from Queensland, in the wings. Paul Bongiorno, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Ruby. Bye. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. In other news, US President Donald Trump's impeachment trial has ended in an acquittal. The Senate voted to acquit 52 to 48 on the first article of impeachment. The vote split overwhelmingly on partisan lines, with only former Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney crossing the floor to vote with the Democrats. And the Australian Federal Police will not proceed with an investigation into Energy Minister Angus Taylor over allegations that his office used doctored documents to launch a political attack on Sydney Lord Mayor Clover Moore. The AFP found no grounds to proceed with an inquiry. 7am is hosted by me, Ruby Jones. The show is produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto, Elle Marsh and Michelle Macklem. Brian Campo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. A special thanks this week to Nina Capel. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review. It helps more people find out about us. See you next week.